I'm Link. I'm Spencer. And this is the Lasso Lowdown. We give it the lowdown on all things Ted Lasso. We're doing an episode by episode review the Apple Plus TV series, Ted Lasso. We are on season one, firmly in the back half of season one. Spencer, you were just telling me you like the title of this one. This is episode seven, Make Rebecca Great Again. What yeah, were your I feel initial like we're thoughts? Doing, I feel like we're doing kind of like a sub-segment on the subject of, does the title have a damn thing to do with the episode or is anything more than just an offhand reference? I think this one qualifies better than a couple episodes ago. It's a it's a reference. It's an offhand reference. It's a topical reference. And it has something to do with the episode. I think it's a really good title. Uh, I thought mm-hmm. it was a really good episode. Um, you know, it did, in this episode, we did two things in one episode that we've previously talked about in separate episodes, which is character development, you know, uh, having the team play a game, having the team grow, advancing mm-hmm. the plot. But then also a little bit of like the last 12 minutes of let's just take our cast and just throw them out in public to a completely different, you know, uh, situation about this before. Yeah, exactly. Like we've done before and, and just see what happens. Right. So you get both mm-hmm. of those worlds in this episode. I thought it was a really good episode. I was not the first time I watched this. I was not expecting Richmond team karaoke, but I'm very glad we ended up getting it. I know, and I can't wait for you to do a rendition of Wonderwall when we get to that point in the recap. That's going to be a lot of fun for everybody. You are going to keep hoping for a long time, sir. going to be an awful lot of fun. All right, You're yeah. not going to be the so one that changes me. We're going to run through this episode like we do all the episodes here on the Lasso Lowdown. We have segments. Segments galore. Spencer will do biscuits with the boss. I will try to introduce our American audience to tea. That's hot tea, not sweet tea, not iced tea, hot tea. I have a new uh, variety for you here this week I'm excited to talk about. Then we'll do the recap. Spencer, that's right, Spencer. My man Spencer leads the recap this week like he does every week, champ that he is. Then we will go to a train wreck of the episode, Sports Center Top 10, where every week we have 10, exactly 10, no more, no less, items that we would like to review from the episode. And then we end with Ted's life lessons of the episode, which I compile and lead for everybody. Before we jump into all those segments, a little bit of housekeeping here on the Lasso Lowdown. We are driving toward Season 2. Season 2 is where we're going toward. And we're going to be with you week by week on Season 2. Spencer, I think we decided to do these podcasts for Season 2 on Saturday because what we found out is that they're going to be releasing them new every Friday. Mm-hmm. So when we get to season two, you can expect a podcast about Saturday afternoon. While we're still doing season one, these things are coming out Tuesday afternoon. A little confusing there, right? But while we're on season one, Tuesday, Tuesday evening, when we get to season two, um, we are going with season one, we're going to do Tuesday evening. When we get to season two, it'll be Saturday afternoon. So you'll get about 24 hours after the uh, episode is live and, and you've watched it on Apple TV. I feel like we're asking a lot of our audience here, sir. We are asking them to change their schedules when it comes to listening to our material. I don't know how we get away with this kind of thing. I think you, I think what we can do is stay with us every Tuesday like you've been doing. And then when season two comes out, watch it a day later. Bang, it'll be in your podcast feed. But you don't have to follow any of that if you go to your favorite podcast platform and click subscribe. Because then it'll just auto-populate on what, however you listen to your podcast, your phone, your computer, whatever device you use to listen to your podcast, click subscribe. Uh, also rate and review us. Um, the ratings help to move us up in the podcast uh, search results. And we love the the reviews. We love the feedback. I read every single one of those. And we take your advice. If you have an idea for segments, if you have an idea on feedback or things we could do better, shorter, longer, whatever it is, 
make sure to review uh, our podcast on whatever podcast platform that you use, and we will we will listen to it. And we will take that into consideration. Okay, that's the housekeeping for this episode, Spencer. Are we ready to jump into our two pre-recap segments? We start with biscuits with the boss. What dessert do you have for us this week? Well, you know, there's an entire category of desserts I haven't really explored yet. You Designed for a particular holiday or event kind of thing. And, you know, you and I had birthdays recently. And as part of that birthday, one thing I got was a giant frosting-covered sugar cookie that says, in frosting, happy birthday. And as you also can see, it's on a stick. I did not know this was a thing. Now I do. I've not tried it yet. I'm kind of scared. Yeah, so you got a sugar cookie here for us today. Sugar cookies pretty famous for being able to be topical. They're mm-hmm. easy to make, and you can very easily put all kinds of decorations on them. So you got one for happy birthday. So you're getting a, a really large sugar cookie it's... on a stick. You eat that thing, you're going to be just wired. You're going to come at people like a spider monkey. <laughs> I, um, yeah, I don't need your I don't need your tea induced caffeine here. I've got the raw power of sugar to compel me through this podcast. Yeah, no, on that bad boy, you'll be ready for the recap. Um, one thing I do want to share to the uh, with the listeners, you alluded to it. This is going to sound fake. This is going to sound like I'm making this up just for the podcast. Spencer and I actually share the same birthday. Mm-hmm. It's the same exact day. That's for real. We really do. It, as crazy as that is, and we do a podcast together. We're we're best of friends, and we actually have the same birthday. Yeah, grew up in North Carolina. Went to the same college. Started the same podcast. Born the same birthday, totally not twins. That's where the similarities end, right there. All of those. That's where genetics. Right there. But yeah, absolutely. So share the same birthday. Pretty cool. Uh, so that comes to me for tea time with Lee. I'm going to introduce a new tea variety this week, Spencer. Look, like I did last week. Last week I hit you with some green tea. Little mm-hmm. whoop whoop, little, little swerve action for you. This week I'm going to do the same thing. You ever heard of white tea? Mm-hmm. Okay. <clears throat> So I've got white tea for you this week. White tea um, is actually interesting because there's no like actual like official specifications for what white tea is. It oh. generally is from the Camilla uh, sinensis plant, which is basically the tea plant. I'm probably mispronouncing that, but it's the tea plant, right? And so green tea, black tea, white tea, all of this comes from the same plant. It's just different. It's variations in how it's grown, variations in how it's prepared after they harvest it. Mm-hmm. White tea, um, uh, it does not require panning, rolling, or shaking. So basically what they do is they take the raw material from the tea plant, only plucking very young tea leaves, and um, they immediately process it and make tea out of it. So like you would have a maybe a plant or um, you'd have like tea fields where that would normally be like, if you gave it some time, it would be like a typical green tea that you'd make like, I don't know, oolong or, or your, your normal green tea out of. If you harvest it quickly, mm-hmm. that's your white tea. So what I got for you this week is a, man, this is like the Bed Bath & Beyond a tea right here. I mean, it's a company <laughs> called the, the Republic of Tea. I actually mm-hmm. like them, but it's, mm-hmm. you know, it's the target, right? Like it's like, it's very, very common. You can get the Republic of Tea pretty much anywhere, but they do have good tea varieties. I've got ginger peach here. It's 100% white tea. Um, it's from China's Fujian province, and uh, it's got a peach infusion to it. I would say that um, if you are looking for a a light tea, 
light caffeine mm-hmm. and something that takes flavoring really well. Like a lot of green teas, mm-hmm. you know, you put peach in it. And for me, it's just like too much going on. White tea takes flavoring really well. So this has got some peach in it. I think it takes the flavoring really well and it's not overloaded with caffeine. So there you go. little white tea action for you this week. We were exploring so many different kinds of tea that I just never even really pondered existed. Things we're adding to our horizons here. White tea for you. And, you know, to, to fit with our theme of teas you might get, um, if you go to the United Kingdom, white tea, of course, very popular. Uh, you'll get all kinds of iterations of white tea. Um, but, you know, there's really no standard for what white tea is. So if you're looking for some sort of like, you know, actual scientific breakdown of what your caffeine count's going to be, it's going to actually be pretty varied because what they label white tea can be, um, has a lot of variety in when they harvest it um, and how they process it. So you're going to have a lot of variability there with your caffeine levels. So that is it for Tea Time with Lee Spencer. I think we should flow into the bulk of our podcast here this week. The recap. Are you ready to lead us on the recap? We've got our comfort foods. I'm ready to go. Episode seven, make America great again. Or make America great again. <laughs> different <laughs> make focus. Rebecca, different focus. Make Rebecca great again. That's mm-hmm. right, the reference. Make America great again. But this is make Rebecca great again. Episode seven, Spencer, take it away. Well, we start in the middle of an act of where Nate is diligently helping the players pack their luggage under a bus because the team is on, they are going to play at another stadium, specifically Everton in Liverpool. Nate is so determined to help out the team, he accidentally gets packed with their luggage. We'll return to that issue later. Meanwhile, Ted is having a conversation with his son a la Skype, Zoom, couldn't tell, uh, where he's apparently you know, telling his son that they're going to play Liverpool, but is keeping from his son the fact that two of the Beatles are now dead. And I realized I do this all the time with my you know, nieces and nephews whenever I show them old material, and I try not to reveal key details about the fact, oh yeah, this came out in the 70s, Everybody in this is kind of dead now. Let's not destroy their innocence in that way at that given time. Sure. Uh, David we, Bowie's still alive and kicking in my household. <laughs> absolutely. Meanwhile, uh, while Ted's, Ted's talking with his son, he's uh, now, I suppose, in the stage of going towards ex-wife. Jumps estranged, on I think, is what they would call that, estranged. Some category of estranged, separated. She jumps on to check in whether he's received and, you know, moving forward with signing the divorce papers. This will be a recurring theme throughout this episode that, though it's, what, been three, four weeks? They've only played, like, two games since last time this ha- they, they uh, talked. It's probably been a couple weeks, right? Like, I mean, they, yeah. they play games every, every seven to ten days, I think. She's looking to move forward as fast as is humanly possible and is looking and sounding remarkably more chipper than she did last that Ted saw her. Do you want the rant now or later? Give me the rant now. We're gonna, I'm sure we're going to get it again. Okay. All right. So here is some life advice here from Uncle Lee, but this is not to the kiddos out there. This is to people who are firmly uh, in adulthood, middle age, maybe even later in life. If you are going to divorce someone, you know, it's your idea. You want to, you want to get a divorce. Godspeed. Everybody should have that right. And, uh, you know, take advantage of whatever legal process you have in whatever municipality or state or country you're in to get the divorce. That's all good. I don't have any beef with that. But if you're going to throw a divorce at somebody, give them a little time to process it and don't like harass them to get it signed. We see this a lot in, I see it a lot, like just in friends of mine who've gotten divorced, but you see it a lot in popular media of this, like the divorce papers land on your desk and like you're getting like pressure to sign them. If you're going to divorce somebody, I say serve them the papers, 
give them give them a few months to sign it. Like that's a that's a tough thing to do mentally. You shouldn't be beating them down. And from what we can tell in this episode, it seems like what Michelle is her name, Michelle Lasso, mm-hmm. is hitting him every twenty four to forty eight hours, bugging yeah. him to sign these papers. I think that's excessive and a little mean, a little cruel, and not giving him the space he needs to uh, to deal with this situation. I mean, this entire episode takes place over what a maximum of two days, kind of thing. And he gets at least three texts from either her or her attorney before the episode is done. Unbelievable the way she's harassing him to get this thing signed. I mean, I know she wants to, she probably has some guy, right? She wants to just make this thing happen. (laughs) Whatever you want to do. But give him a little bit of time. This is a pretty traumatic thing you've you've thrown at him and you're asking him to do. That's, That's the rant. I can completely understand that she wants to sever the cord, pull off this band-aid as fast as possible, but she needs to have some regard for what he's going through here, and she clearly isn't. Or he's just very good at misleading her as to where his headspace is in any given moment. Now, let's say your your significant other has cheated on you and is living with someone else at the time. Yeah, go ahead and beat him down every couple of hours to <laughs> yeah. sign it, right? This that is makes not sense. that. This is a completely different, different situation where she's asking for it. Ted's been nothing but great. He's been gracious. Her. Going to need to give him a little, a little space. That's what I'm saying. In a very similar boat, Rebecca is still getting those anniversary emails that you get every year <laughs> at a set time. Do you wait a second? Do you do you get any sort of like like reminder from the internet that it's your anniversary? I get flower reminders, kind of thing. I get friggin' birthday reminders for other people through the internet. My I need to delete cookies on my computer more often. Interesting. Okay. She's clearly struggling with this, but Keely is having none of it. She has set up that the two of them are going on a girl's trip to Liverpool, and it's going to be great. Let's go. Shot, 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 (laughs) shot. In fact, Keely is so so excited, she offers the line that, if I'm going to dip my toe back into the lady pool, I can't think of a finer body of water to do it with than you. Which is a wonderful line that Rebecca has no idea of how to handle. I'm not quite sure how to follow that metaphor, but I think I like it. Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, how serious do you think Rebecca thinks Keely is at that moment? Because it looks like she thinks she's being stone cold serious. Uh, well, she does the thing where, like, um, she's like, Keely, I think you're confused. And she goes, um, yeah, yeah. Oh, I was just I was just joking. Uh, and she goes, oh, yeah, us. You know, like, can you imagine? And Keely goes, oh, I've oh, imagined. imagined it. I very much imagined. <laughs> so... Uh, Joke, I think Keely's a hun- I think Keely's a hundred percent serious. From what I can tell of this character, the folks she rolls with, maybe maybe a little casual sex is not out of the not out of the picture. Like that's not a necessarily um, you know something that that is frowned upon in her yeah. social circle. Um, I think Rebecca is a little taken aback by it. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah, it's kind of fun for you to realize here that all that flirting that Keely's been doing with you that's not been fun. Fr- that has been a fun friend thing, but also she totally would. Uh, Higgins walks in looking remarkably fly for Higgins excited to be going on this trip surprised to find that Keeley's there even more surprised to find that Keeley's taking his seat but don't worry he's ridden with the players before that's fun too the camaraderie we've seen him he has fun with the team but oh surprise surprise he's not doing that either he needs to stay back home and do utterly meaningless work even referred to as utterly meaningless work. So obviously this is Rebecca, you know, hitting him for really undermining her plan to undermine the team. This is a this is a double secret agent undermining situation. Here's what um, stuck out to me in this is everything we know about Higgins. You know, he doesn't make a lot of money. 
Um, he does not live a lavish lifestyle by any stretch of the imagination. He's a little flat he's got with four kids. You can only imagine that these trips where he's on the private plane of the owner is like the highlight of his professional existence. Absolutely. And for her to pull that rug out from under, just pretty. Oh, come on, Rebecca. That's mean. There's going to be some comeuppance as to their relationship before this season is done. But man, is it is it a long time coming? Um, Ted, meanwhile, is trying to get the team excited before their road trip. And of all of the players, who is the one he succeeds in getting excited? Danny, football is life. To not have to work hard to get Danny excited about whatever Ted is saying at any given moment. As said, golden retriever in human form. Ted's, you know, concerned. He's worried that this is one of those Beyonce dumping Jay-Z kind of levels of moments, which I love that Beard gets protective of Ted when he says that. It's like, no, it's not that. It's like, I know how, how damaging that would be for you. Well, let, let me let me let me back up with the cultural reference there. <laughs> the specific line is: Did Beyonce break up with Jay Z or something? So Beyonce has never broken up with Jay Z. That's Absolutely. To our knowledge. Um, they're together. I think that's the the doomsday scenario for poor set for poor Ted Absolutely. is that the American royalty that is Jay Z and Beyonce could potentially break up. Uh, it makes him immediately spoiler. sad to think about it. Spoiler: More on that in the Sports Center top ten. So keep listening. Looking forward to that. He asks the team just straight up what's going on, and Roy, as usual, cuts through the shit. They don't like going on this trip, because they lose every time they play Everton. How often do they mean when they say every time? The last 60 years of road trip games. As we find out later, it was long enough ago, the top song at the time was Elvis's It's Now or Never. Appropriate song, given the circumstances it's later. Now. Hey, can I quote Roy? Please. We're in a shit fucking mood because we never fucking win at Everton and it sucks fucking shit. <laughs> well said, Roy and Lee. Bravo. It was amazing. I love that, like, because he's he's screaming this and there's like 60 cuss words jammed into this sentence. Mm-hmm. But it's completely like no one is yelling. Like, everyone's really calm when he yeah. does this. It was pretty hilarious. It's just calm response, <laughs> calm response. Roy at 11. Which Ted immediately does the most dad thing possible. He starts making silly jokes to get the team on a different thought process. He starts talking about apparently O'Brien tore his butt. Upper hamstring, but totally his butt. His butt. We find out the beard apparently has torn his butt three times. And by the end of this, everybody's giggling. Because that's what you do when you talk about somebody tearing their butt. Even O'Brien, who tore his butt, is now giggling at this. They have a replacement goalie that's going to be filling in of impronounceable names, so I'm just going to go with Ted here and call him Zorro. 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 Well, Zorro. I, I'm just hearing Zorro. Same thing, but, uh, but the team is getting a little bit better mood. Not much. I think they get still just Danny and one of their players say woo when Ted calls them all together, but at least they're chuckling more than they were a second ago. They're walking out to the bus. Some journalists intervene. They have two questions. One... All kind of centered around Jamie. But first, last two games, you've lost one and you've drawn one and you haven't scored a goal since Jamie left the team to return to Manchester City. How do you feel? Take this kind of... How do you feel and how does the idea of relegation, you know, feel to you right now? Tim says that, you know, I'm just thinking about the definition of relegation because I really think he still doesn't actually understand what the concept is. Do you you agree that he still has no real clue what relegation is? Lloyd? 
Right now, I'm most concerned with the definition of relegation. And the reporter looks yeah. pretty concerned at this response. <laughs> yeah. but I, to put it mildly, pretty concerned. So they transition to something that Ted's much more equipped to answer. How do you feel about losing Jamie as a coach? And Ted delivers a very impassioned response about... As a player. Yeah, as a player. Is that as a coach, this is the thing that hurts him the most. This is the thing that he plays forward to see the players grow up, develop. And so seeing him aware of this, he's actually broken up about it. To the point that these two jaded journalists actually look a little bit misty-eyed when Ted finishes saying this. Because mm-hmm. they're not used to that kind of legitimate, well-meant emotion from, directed from a coach toward a player. They view this more, much more as a business than Ted ever could. But one thing he does in his answer there, he said, the back end of the answer is, that's a loss that hits me a lot harder, and it's going to stay with me a lot longer than anything that happens while we're playing a game on a patch of grass. Now, he does throw in, yet again, he hammers his home again and again with the press. Not the wins, not the Winning losses. and losing is not as not that important. And Absolutely. when he throws that little bit in, you can see the reporter kind of be like, ugh. It's not, you know, because we have this relegation thing looming and you're basically saying I'm more concerned with like personnel and like, you know, coaching up players and actual. This is like watching a really great person, a really great friend running full speed at a brick wall. And there's only so much you can do to talk him out of it. It's like, oh, you mean so well and you're going to fall so hard. Uh, Ted tries to make a British version of an American reference. Last one, there's a scotch egg, which does not land at all because hey, scotch eggs are awesome uh and scotch eggs are real good yeah absolutely like why are you using that as a replacement for rotten egg dude come on uh scotch egg if you don't know i always speak the americans out there scotch egg if you don't know uh hard-boiled egg wrapped up uh in sausage it's absolutely delicious if you can find a good one uh so everybody gets on the bus they start to go off they make it about 20 yards about 20 yards bus pulls over they go down and pull out nate Apparently, one of the players finally told Ted was down there. So did the player tell him he was down there, or did because I th- I just assumed that Ted looked around. <laughs> where's Ned? Said, He's got to be where's under the bus. Where's <laughs> so we never we never saw him. Uh, last thing I saw, he was loading the the you know the luggage under the bus. Okay, perfectly fair. <laughs> perfectly fair. We cut to everybody arriving in their own pace at Liverpool. Rebecca and Keeley have the presidential suite, and it looks lovely. This is. Oh, wait a second. Before before you get to the presidential suite, which does look lovely, um, right at the when Ted gets Nate out of the bottom of the bus, then we cut to the credits. Small sure. point. Uh, no, maybe nobody cares about this, but I love the credits. I'm very involved in the credits. This is the longest we go before. This is the longest cold opening we get of Ted Lasso. It's five and a half minutes before the credits come on. So just creative decision there. Thought I'd point it out. At this point, that's practically just an intermission to the episode rather than the opening credits. Yeah, it's a fifth of the episode before they before they even get to it. It's it's yeah, it's long for sure. What do you think of the presidential suite that Keely and Rebecca are staying in for their trip here? Woo, Spencer. I know the why am I answering asking this question? If you're a listener to Mangum Talks, another podcast we have where the brain trust at Mangum Talks get together and we just like generally discuss things. You'll know that Spencer's a cheap, cheap, cheap man. Absolutely, Spencer. Have you ever stayed in a hotel room that had multiple rooms? Now, let me define multiple rooms. I don't mean main living area bedroom couch area and bathroom i mean multiple living or multiple bedrooms so i'm not talking about multiple rooms not including the bathroom not if i not only never stayed in one the only time i've ever even been in one was when a client was showing me a new development they were working on and i got to briefly tour one of their luxury suites that's the closest i've ever been to staying in anything beyond a box with you know a bathroom 
I've done it a couple times, and I, I was it nice? It's oh, oh, oh boy, yeah. Because I mean, you get the newness of the hotel room, which is nice. Everything's clean. Everything's new. You're in a different space. You feel like you're doing something different, and then whoa, whoa, new room, whole nother experience. Well, you have you have any experience in this regard? Tell me. The whole Rebecca and Keeley flirting with the bellhop, is that a mandatory part of staying in the luxury suite, or is that more optional? Um, I'm So I'm going to say that I don't do that. Okay, uh, good to know. All right, I, I, just, I don't have the prior experience. I need to check with an expert on this. Um, but I would say that um, if I was a bellhop and, uh, and Keeley did flirt with me in such a way, um, I would prefer that to the tip, which is exactly to his point. <laughs> would that be an image that would last with you for a lifetime in the same way as it would be for him? For sure. Even if even if I wasn't like, even if I was like happily married, I'd be like, I've got a story now. Keely yes. Jones flirted with me. I, that's better than the 20 bucks or whatever. Yes, absolutely. Well, they go through that. This is one of several moments of Rebecca's friends just abjectly trying to embarrass her and succeeding, but all of them having fun doing so. Which is a great kind of trip where you can do that kind of thing and everybody just laughs along with it. Rebecca is still struggling. This is her anniversary weekend. And she starts to break down a little bit and Keely does the absolute best thing that she can do in that moment. She just jumps up and throws her arms around her and gives her a massive hug. Sure does. And Rebecca gets a little, you know, she's able to fight through the tears. She clearly appreciates it. And then the hug keeps going. And Keely gives her a big sniff that she's got there too. So it gets a little bit awkward, but still a great a great friend moment from Keely. Ooh, that's a long hug. That's a long hug. Uh, we, we cut to a very interesting scene of where the team is now, a little bit later, the bus has arrived, they're checking into their hotel. Nate is handing out cards. This is Nate at the single most authoritative we have ever seen Nate previously up to date on this show. He is handing out room keys, and he is giving instructions and laying down the law that these rooms are going to be well cared for with no furniture stolen or shipped overseas while the team is staying there. This- okay, there's a story there, right? Somebody shipped <laughs> hotel furniture. I couldn't believe that he had to, he had to, he had to say that. That was he an direct- interesting thing that he had to clarify. I need to go back and check, but he directed that line at a particular player, too. It's like, you have a history of this, sir. Colin, don't send this guy. Yeah, it's like one person, <laughs> yeah. for sure. But it's a great moment for Nate because it's really showing how much more confident Nate has gotten that Nate's no longer the groundskeeper that everybody picks on and just hiding around the margins. This is a guy who's laying down the law to the team and everybody's listening, which really sets up a great the moment's going to come later of Nate providing proper coaching advice to the team before this episode is done. Um, while Nate is doing that, Ted reveals to the team that apparently... They do a team meal and either a movie night or a pillow fight. I have to ask you, movie night or pillow night, which one are you picking? A pillow fight, which one are you picking? I mean, movie night. I, I guess I'm... I'm <laughs> You're Ted's going to be very disappointed in me, but I'm a movie. I'm a movie buff. I don't know about the pillow fight. How about you? Uh, yeah, I'm not touching that pillow fight with the 10-foot pole. Give me a movie night anytime. Big box of popcorn, lots of friends. That's a fun evening right there. Y'all pick pillow fight one time and you'll never watch another movie. They check into their rooms. They we clearly see that both that, that Ted and Beard are the best of friends. That just nonstop make jokes about their room numbers. Oh, don't gloss over it. Sorry, fifty-one fifty is Ted's room. Fifty-one fifty. Yes. This is like getting your cell phone number and it's eight six seven five three zero nine. He got fifty-one fifty. Yes, it, Woo! It, it, it is a great number. It is. <laughs> those that don't know, we're talking talk, talk, talk to Sammy Hagar here. It's great, a lot of great, a lot of fun. We get into an argument about who was the be, who was the best lead singer of that particular band. 
Do you have any particular opinions on that? Because Beard has some aggressive ones. Listen, here's the thing, all right? Speak to us, sir. Look, the answer is Eddie Van Halen. That is not one of the Uh, options. No, 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 no. no. Yeah, that was so. So here's what I'm saying Eddie Van Halen is the band, Mm -hmm. right? That's the band. So who is the best frontman? Kind of doesn't matter as much as a lot of fans try to pretend that it matters. Sure. But if you're making me pick, the answer is David Lee Roth. Now, do I like David Lee Roth as a person? No. That's a very different question. Ask for the band. Absolutely. Was he talented as shit? Take take the catalog with David Lee Roth, and it's better than the Sammy Hagar catalog. It just is. It's one of those things where you can't let personalities get in the way of these scientific discussions, right? Absolutely. I fully understand. And factoring in again how the Beard and Ted are the best of friends, Beard just has a fifty-one forty-eight. Nothing special about that one, but the fact that their neighbors earns another little fun little moment between the two of them of them cowboy tipping their hats at each other. Best of buds they are. Rebecca is checking in on their champagne, because of course they ordered champagne before dinner. They are having a fun trip. She keeps yelling at Keely to ask about, you know, where should we go for dinner? And she gets this kind of off-tune Keely voice that seems to be answering each of her questions. A little bit weird at times, but, you know, open 24 hours and all that jazz about when they should go to dinner. But still, okay. As she's doing that, though, she goes back to the room to find Keely kind of vaguely in a bit of shell shock and she's suddenly realizing that something that she recorded in her earlier years is now the main kind of advertisement this hotel does for the local environs. Uh, What do you think Keely's mind is upon finally realizing that this is a thing that this Liverpool hotel has been possibly been doing for a decade? So Keely walks through life in a way that I don't, but I wish I could, which is... (laughs) I don't think there's a lot of shame going on no, with her. I don't no. think she feels that emotion Confidence. very often. And I certainly don't think she feels it here. I think she's more like surprised. Um, so I, I think she's totally cool with it. I will say that what she is being forced to say here as the sort of like, hey, let me introduce you to the amenities of the hotel. It's awkward. Is hilarious. Yeah. Um, we get we get a mention to the newest in fitness technology, kettlebell. <laughs> which. <laughs> yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, and then the great Asian pastime what? of karaoke. Like it's a fresh <laughs> import. How old is this video? That's pretty. two pretty funny references there. But I think Keely's totally cool with it. I think she's just a little surprised. Uh, she's shocked. She didn't know this was here. She's perfectly fine joking with it by the end of the episode. For sure. Um, but two of them decide this isn't about the present. This, is about, this isn't about the past and leaving the past in the past. Great trip advice. Wonderful idea for the both of them. One thing that doesn't exactly throw a wrench, but does alter necessarily the direction of the plans, is there's a knock at the door. And lo and behold, we have a new character. Lee, who is this new character? This is Flo, Rebecca's uh, childhood friend, who it appears... Um, they may have lost a little bit of contact, or at least not as close in recent years. Six of them. Um, six, yeah, six years. They haven't been as close recently, but Flo has shown up for the weekend. And I will tell you that, you know, in wrestling, when a new character, everybody on this podcast knows. Yeah, yeah, yeah. In wrestling, when you introduce a new character, it's very you. Ha- it's very important to introduce them correctly. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. The best the best introduction of all time was Kane being introduced as the Undertaker's mm-hmm, brother. Mm-hmm, uh, it was a whole mm-hmm, thing. Mm-hmm. But oftentimes you'll see the new guy kind of come in and just beat the hell out of everybody, throw everybody over the top rope, and just command the sh- the ring. Right? 
Flo does this. Flo walks in and she just haymaker. She's knocking people over the top rope. You're going to remember who this character is. Oh, absolutely. I like like the introduction a lot. The the actress does wonderful jokes. She just sells it right away and the character is wonderful. She's probably a fascinating background. She's apparently a well-regarded child psychologist. Uh... Uh, I'm starting to refer to Rebecca as Stinky from here on after, but Rebecca's her uh, was the god was the godmother to her daughter, and somewhat similar to Rebecca, she's also recently single, because apparently Darren is a bit of a sack of shit, her ex-husband. Who you're getting one side of the story. we're getting one side of the story, but the fact that he informed Rebecca that they'd broken up while in the act of hitting on her is probably not the best read. Uh, oh, man's got to move on. I, I, I understand. I get this. Uh, Meanwhile, we find out that while Rebecca is stinky, Flo is apparently sassy, the S&S twins. Wonderful combination. Keely immediately loves her. This is Keely's catnip, catnip of a person right here. A, I love you. B, who are you? <laughs> uh, and the two of them bond immediately. Also, partly over the fact that apparently Darren also loved Keely and masturbated to her like a maniac in, in, in Sassy's words. So they've all got connections. Right, but what we know of Keeley's profession and like what like that's expected. that's probably like half of London. Yeah, like half of the men in London. Have She's a big six model. It's part of the routine. Um, meanwhile, the team is watching their team movie. What movie are they watching? Dude, I really don't know. I, I, I what is it? Tell me. Do you tell know? me you have seen Iron Giant? Otherwise, we're doing a, wa- a live watch together of that movie. Iron Giant. Yes. The cartoon that makes grown adults look like a cartoon. It is a cartoon that was that was done by the same guy that did uh, The Incredibles, who's done by the same guy that did lots of other great Pixar films. Uh, it's it's the film that, as they say, the seventy four minute makes all adults cry. It's Vin Diesel at one of his best acting roles playing a giant metal robot. I, I don't know, man. You've been trying to get me on anime for years, and you know, it, basically, the reality here is that I have never liked any cartoon, not a single cartoon. You sir have given as me an a adult, challenge. except for the Clone Wars. You sir have given me a challenge now. We're going to create a new podcast, and it's going to be Lee watches cartoons. We're going to find one, one that you enjoy. Now, I did cry during the beginning up, which I think just makes me human. Well, yeah. But uh, as far as like things, I would sit down and watch on my own because I really like it. Uh, the Clone Wars, Star Wars. What up? Shout out. Okay. All right. Fine enough. Uh, the team loves it, which should give you a ringing endorsement of the film. Yeah, they really do. They're, they're, they're locked they're, into they're, this they're film. They're eating it up. They're laughing in the background. Um, meanwhile, Ted is turning to Nate and basically saying, hey, I think you have opinions about the team and the players, and I want to hear. You've kind of expressed them before. You gave us a play, a, a, a strategy for our team. Let's, I want to hear more. Nate's really resistant, and it's hilarious the manner in which he is because it's the same kind of spiraling self-consciousness, self-conscious fears that I have of where he goes from, I'm afraid you'll dislike me, I'll think you'll dislike them, which means you'll hate me, which means you'll fire me, which means I'll have to move home, which means my parents will be supported, which means that everyone will laugh at me to the point that my face melts. Those are the kind of spirals I get into. And Nate, I feel you right here, man. But, yeah, that seems like just a normal Spencer at like a staff meeting or something. Oh, yeah. You just have that sort of spiral out uh, if you yeah, if you actually gave the internal model. My way, my way of being able to function as a proper human being in society is I just condense the entire spiral to like a little jerk for about a half second, and then I'm good. I've gotten through all of it. Sp- speeds things along. Um, meanwhile, 
Ted is still getting text messages from Michelle about the divorce papers, which we see Unbelievable. three. You gotta believe he's been getting more over the course of the last couple of days. Michelle, I'm trying to speak for you here. I'm trying to understand your position, but you are really not coming across well in this episode. Uh, Unbelievable. Ted warns, Ted's got to leave. He's got things he's got to do. Yeah. And he warns Beard, you know, at the 74-minute mark, get ready to console this team because all these grown men are going to cry. Beard, having seen Iron Giant, already has the tissues ready. He knows what he's about to go through himself. Meanwhile... Now, you know, you know, I love a good cry in a movie. Like I watch Love Actually every year just to kind of, you know, work the tear ducts a little bit. Mm-hmm. Um, so this really is a, like a famous scene that like people get kind of misty it, this is, in this film. Like this is a big There's a well-earned misty moment that is well built up and set up in this film occurring within about 10, 15 minutes of the ending. Okay, I gotta watch this we, thing. We'll watch it together at some point or another. Meanwhile, our three ladies are at dinner. And they are clearly having an absolute blast, including with casual sexual harassment. How else can ladies have fun? The target this time is the waiter, who again, this time this time it's sassy, but uh, uh, Flo, but she propositions Rebecca, she propositions the waiter on Rebecca's behalf, which Rebecca... Does she? She does. She, this is the same thing Keely did with the bellhop, of where it's Flo flirting, but it's flirting on behalf of Rebecca, at least supposedly, saying that you know, she would love to hear about your extra large desserts right now, or some obvious come on like that. Yeah, but you know, it's a table flirting, but it's meant to make this friend feel awkward because they're putting her label name on it. I just am going to put that in the category of acceptable flirting that um, obviously is flirting, but is not necess- to me not necessarily something where I'd be like, "Whoa, pause." Here, it's still all fun. It's when they start getting drunk and grabby. We've gone too far. Luckily, they don't reach that stage in this episode. Um, it's having a great time. Uh, Flo goes out to have a smoke. Rebecca says she doesn't do that anymore. Flo throws out the great line, you don't smoke anymore, but you're still on fire. Very funny, very well said, quick line right there. Flo, uh, during this scene, Flo boasts that she once gave Elton John an erection. I just want to point that out. Kudos to her. Bravo. That, that's not something many women can claim. Uh, Flo, meanwhile, goes to the front desk and gets to meet Ted. Now, one wouldn't think that this would be a really interesting kind of meeting of people moment, but boy, does it turn out that way before this episode and certainly season is done. Um, Ted's apparently trying to find out whether the hotel is a fax machine. This is a bit of a hard thing to ask in the 2020s. Uh, Fax machines are not as common as they once were. I've still never been to a hotel that didn't have one or at least have access to one, though. But yeah, how do you know that? You're not asking. Look, anywhere. I've had to fax some things recently. Yes. Um, and I can tell you it's extremely hard to get a fax machine. I actually have some people uh, that I work in encounter at work who ask me, hey, can you fax something to me? Now I'm working from home, right? So obviously I don't have a fax machine at home. I've run all over my damn city trying to find a fax machine. It's particularly hard. Uh, I do like that flow counters with are you faxing something in the year 1997? <laughs> Bit obvious joke, but I like it. Now I'm going to say that we have the my least favorite line of the entire season. Are you ready for I'm it? I'm caught off guard, sir. What is this line? <laughs> yeah. Just a little note to my old self to tell me to buy Apple stock. It's oh, Apple I didn't place. pick up on that. Oh, that it's ruins it. That ruins it. I thought it was just a purposely bad joke. I didn't realize it was bad advertising, too. 
This is this is like a, the Netflix shows that say, "Hey, like the main character goes, what are you doing tonight?" And he's Netflix like, "I'm going to go home and watch Netflix." Yeah. Come on, Apple. You're better than this. I, you don't need to do I'm, that. Self-promoting nonsense. I can't talk about this show anymore. It's ruined it for me. Why did you point this out? I was in such a little happy bubble of contentment, and you popped it completely. Oh, I'm going to soldier through. I'm going to soldier through. Two of them really are two peas in a pot real quick. They hit it off right, right away. They both have a similar sense of humor. We get discussions about, you know, having sassy Smurf would have been a great Smurf. Absolutely sassy Smurf would have been a great idea. Can't believe that doesn't exist. Very so good. very good. It is becoming apparent to all people but Ted because his mind's in a different place. Flo's starting to get a good vibe from him. She's starting to express a little bit of interest. But Ted just says it offline and walks off stage left, and she figures she said something wrong. She doesn't fully understand what's going on with him right now. Meanwhile, while she's just saying all this to the receptionist who found a fax machine eight miles away at a different establishment. I'm legitimately impressed at the quality of that service that he was able to find that information that fast. Kudos to that hotel. Like, I will give Ted credit for the best comeback he's had. One of the I'm going to put this top three comeback he's had. So they go, the the, the front desk guy goes, uh, yeah, we found a fax machine, but it's located you know eight miles away in a tanning salon. And Ted goes, you know what? I'll pass. I'll just go to the manicurist who has some carrier pigeons. <laughs> Whoa! That was really quick, Ted. Uh, holy moly! No wonder he locked up Flo. That was a hell of a comeback. And it is a poor statement about the receptionist that that doesn't even get a chuckle from him. Come on, man. That was clever. You're going to tell your friends that one later when you think about it. I give the man a bow. Instead, the receptionist tries to hit on flow to absolutely no success. Oh, poor guy. He goes, in 30 minutes, I get off. Oh, no, no, why would you? That, that no, why would you? Oh, that was, yeah, that was, that was himself burying the dagger in a little bit deeper right there. Mm. that scene ends we cut back to the team watching the 74 minute mark at Iron Giant and reliably all the grown men are crying their eyes out right there back at dinner uh, we find out how Rebecca got the nickname Stinky did you do you remember how she got the nickname Stinky Lee yeah she was taller and had bigger boobs so I called her Stinky <laughs> I love that kind of thing it was just abject jealousy she probably hated her right then they saw her become best of friends through it thereafter yeah it's very good i used to do that crap all the time when i was in school now we were all some kid comes rats. through and like you know he's maybe a military kid you know his dad's got him working out or whatever maybe big into soccer or something you know and i'm immediately like well i mean he's got acne foot athlete's foot i mean obviously he's got back acne mm-hmm. i mean i'm just making up anything i can come up absolutely. with absolutely gotta take him down did this all the time uh we find out that high school it became herpes he's got herpes <gasps> oh man that progressed rapidly <laughs> Uh, yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> we find out, though, from Flo that as much as Keely likes Rebecca, what she sees there before her is not the Rebecca, at least not the one that Flo knows. Rebe- Rebecca that Flo knows was silly, strong, but not cold. Sings his beautiful voice. Her and, her, and uh, Flo's daughter, Nora, could sing for hours frozen through a closed door. It is... A sad thing, clearly, for Flo to see the Rebecca that she loves reduced to this kind of husk of what she remembers, still struggling really to even have fun the way that she used to. Rebecca returns to the table, and we get that kind of fun game that friends play whenever they're out to dinner of one friend's clearly decided to pay, but the other ones feel, either in this case just for the token amusement of it, or legitimately, to make that kind of reach for your wallet kind of moment. Oh, oh, I was going to do it. Oh, too bad. 
we around our around these parts we call that the Spencer. Shut the fuck up. Um, <laughs> yes, but no. Uh, t- <laughs> Meanwhile, back in the hotel room, Ted is drunk in his room and he is looking rough. Ted's drinking alone. That's bad. Yeah. That's bad for Ted. This is, this is Ted looking the physically worst we've ever seen him. He's clearly had a few. Sure. Um, yeah, bad. He's looking at his desk. He's looking over at his son's army men that is trying desperately to stand watchful glance over at, at him right now. And he's looking down at the divorce papers that are sitting there right in front of him. He's getting friggin' texts from his wife's lawyer, who she asked to text him. Please, go on ahead, sir. Uh, professor? Yep, just a quick question for you, Professor. Um, is it normal for an attorney to be texting the 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 other person's like the, like if you're a divorce attorney right and you is it normal to to send a text to your clients uh, estranged uh, spouse asking them to do something normally uh, the estranged spouse would have their own attorney and so that would be a profound ethical violation but i don't think we have any indication here that ted actually got his own attorney that ted's just letting her attorney dictate terms which is a horrible idea even in a no fault you know no fault you know very friendly divorce but it's ted so of course he is still strikes me as really damn weird that she felt the need to add that extra pressure by getting the attorney to text him. Exactly. And you, here's so a couple things here, right? One is the fact that she's so like in such so eager to get him to sign makes me think that the terms are not particularly good for one Mr. Oh. Ted Lasso too. Um, the fact that she's escalated it to her lawyer seems like a very aggressive move considering Ted's given her nothing but kindness during this entire thing. And number 3 I'd like to point out is that the lawyer actually says starts it with good news exclamation point because he's going to explain that Ted doesn't have to fax the the document with his phone and text it over the lack of self-awareness from this lawyer is sort of stunning good news exclamation point come on words that should never be used in anything resembling a divorce proceeding there is no good news here there is just minimal pain um so Ted gets that text message and pretty much decides he's done for the night that with that kind of note it's like not doing this right now that's not happening barely holding it together and just in time for nate to be the usual non-committal nate that we so often see him as he's trying to diligently maybe i'll put the letter on the door maybe put the letter on the door and this is ted at his absolute worst Worst we've seen him. I'm, I'm literally, as you're doing your recap, like the folks at home can't see it. I'm covering my eyes. I'm biting my 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 knuckles here. I just, I hate this part right here because it's just so out of character. For me. Yeah, it's, it's, this is clearly Ted on tilt in a way that it's, yeah. He throws open the door. Nate practically stumbles back from this. Ted rips the letter out of his hand and basically just tells him off and tells him to run away. And it's rude, it's crushing for a Nate who suddenly summoned up the nerve to even drop this letter off, or maybe sort of attempt to drop this letter off. It's a rough scene that Nate clearly doesn't deserve, and Ted, as we see later, immediately regrets in the cold light of day. Terrible. It screams at him that it's a it's past curfew. What are you doing? Get out of yeah. here! You, it's almost like it's almost like. Um... It's almost like an unrealistic scene. I mean, I know they built it up, right? Yeah. They built it up as like all of this pressure he's getting to sign these things. He's dealing with it. He's drinking alone in his hotel room. People get weird when they drink alone. But 
it still seems so out of character for Ted. It's almost almost broaches into like you know not not. It's on the cusp, particularly since Nate's the target. We've seen him with this anger before. There's some anger in Ted, but it's been directed at people like Jamie that really damn deserve it. The fact that it's directed at Nate is an unheralded category we never even pondered before. But I think it's still set up enough, and I think we still frame that his anger's there enough that it's believable, even if it is pushing it to the limit. Yeah, I think it's a good description. I, I buy it, but it's close. Yeah. Um, so, Ted stabs at him. Nate runs away. Ted lays down in bed and almost immediately passes out. This is a guy, it's not even drunk at this point. He is just burnt out and done with the day. Lays down to Keely talking on the TV, and he's out seemingly in seconds. Cut to the next morning, and Higgins is making the best of an unfortunate situation by having a heck of a game day with his family. Higgins is a man that knows how to have fun, even with whatever is put put in front of him. He's got a big bowl. He's got snacks. He has snacks. They're all there together. They're all clearly excited. It's a loving family that Higgins has at home. Um, meanwhile, we find out the fact that Everton is in eighth place and Richmond is in eighteenth. Relegation seemingly coming inevitable on the horizon. Things are not looking good. The team is coming together. Mood is not high. But the first thing Ted does, again, cold light of day, he goes over to Nate and he very, very sincerely apologizes to Nate. In a way that you can't doubt for a second how much he means what he's saying about how much he regrets what happened last night. Nate accepts it immediately. He knows Ted pretty well. He knows that it was out of character. But Ted is not done quite yet. He did read all of Nate's thoughts. I presume in the morning he clearly didn't read them that night. And he agrees with all of them. But he is not in a position to say them. On the other hand, Nate most certainly is. And so Ted shanghais Nate into delivering the pregame talk to the team by reading all of his thoughts to them. To say Nate resists would be putting it mildly, but Ted, not hearing, not hearing mum from him right now. And from here, what I can best refer to it as, the roast begins. And it is great. I'm going to ask you, as a, as a professional stand-up comedian in your own right, what you think was the best little bit that he does with all these players. We'll, let, we'll discuss them out, and I want you to pick by the end which one you think was the best comedy routine he did. Uh, okay, I can do that. Best joke, I got you. Right. Um, I, I do think it's the the whole thing is set up is pretty funny though because Nate clearly had this like puppet master plan for Ted yeah. to break character to do this roast to, shock them, to yeah. really shock them to get through with very specific pointed criticism of each individual player that's embedded within these jokes. Right? Mm-hmm. Uh, Ted lights the whole thing on fire and says, "Nate, uh, boom, here you go," and just pushes him out on stage. But the completely yep. unprepared seven-year-old that Nate Alton feels like he is. And so we get some really great roasting here. Before um, we, yeah, do you want to? Are you going to go through each individual line? I'm going I'm to do it. The thing I love though is that the moment Ted says that Nate's going to do this, the team immediately applauds. They immediately encourage him. They immediately all have his back. This is how far the team has come with Nate so far this season. It's great. They even um, they even start. Um, co- like coaching him through this, it, like come on, Nate, you can do yeah. this. Like Sam is like, come on, Nate. Like, yeah, I mean, we got you, man. Yeah. You're, it's all good. Come on, which only makes what comes out later. Even so. better. It's, it's even better too. That the first person he calls on is Isaac, and Isaac you know, is looking away for some deal. So he says, "Oh man, yeah, bro, you got this. You got this." Isaac's also picked on him, and now he's also supporting Nate. 
Isaac, we start there, where Nate, very deferentially, very politely, basically opens with, you know, I, I feel I've got to say that you've been playing like a big dumb pussy. <laughs> that you're more concerned with looking tough than being tough. And there's ways to be intimidated without being physical. This is throws everybody for a loop just because it's a straight up insult right, right to Isaac's face. But it's not that funny yet, necessarily. It just seems like honest, good advice about, dude, you gotta work out your play style for what you're actually trying to accomplish versus what you're doing. Fine, sure. We cut to Sam, who already knows what's coming, and he says, oh, no, no. <laughs> of where he basically says, Sam, you're getting beat on the wings, you're indecisive, you're second-guessing yourself more than a shitty psychic, and he hasn't seen an African more imprisoned by his thoughts since Nelson Mandela. Oh! Crowd's starting to eat this one up, I feel like. If, if you write these down, you, you want to do the next one for Colin, or I can keep going? Uh, yeah, for Colin, he... Um... Uh, yeah, Nate mentions uh, his step over bullshit yeah. and he asks him if he waxes his pubes. He says, No, then why are you always trying to play like a Brazilian? <laughs> funny one, funny one. I also love his little break in the middle where Colin's like confused, like, What did I stutter, dickhead? It, this is Nate finding his confidence when he delivers that line. Everyone just starts laughing when it comes to this. I know, and when he when he drops the line, Colin looks around and goes, What just happened? <laughs> <laughs> Very question. I think the audience is asking, this Yeah, question. hit my bust. We're on to Danny, who is excited. Woo! You think he even says, woo, roast me, amigo. Danny knows what's happening. He's excited about it. Ask him, you know, your philosophy is that football is life. Well, then your defense is death. The only person I've seen lose a man more often is Carrie Bradshaw. Sex in the City reference, solid. The crowd loves it. And I also love that Danny hears this line and immediately just kind of nods and goes, Tough, but fair. Danny's always there, got you back when it comes to these things. We then come to Roy, who you think he's doing a power move to a certain degree, because he gets up, he walks right over almost to Nate's forehead. He asks him, not raising his voice, that say what you gotta say. Nate starts to read the paper. Roy rips it out of his hand, throws it across, and just say it, don't read it, say it to my face. And Nate looks up, looks Roy right in the eyes, and this is a coaching moment for Roy. He's coaching effectively a younger player. He's coaching this guy as a younger coach, Nate, to be what he needs to be in this situation. And Nate rises to the occasion. Basically says, the great Roy Kent, you're old now, slow, your focus drifts, but those weren't ever the things that made you great. It was your anger. That was your superpower made you one of the best midfielders in the history of this league. You ran like you were angry at the grass. You kicked the ball like you caught it fucking your wife. But your anger doesn't come out anymore. But it's still in there, and I'm afraid of what it's going to do if you keep it all to yourself. You've heard, you've heard your roast, sir. What was the best roast? What was the best comedy routine? Judge this how you want to judge this. Uh, yeah, sure. So I, uh, I, I don't really like to make a lot of jokes about uh, Mandiba. I'm a big Nelson Mandela fan over here, but I got to say that's the best one line. That's a great line. The the, the only African more imprisoned by their own thoughts is goddamn Nelson, Nelson Mandela. That's the best one liner. Uh, I'm gonna say the best, um, just the best criticism or the, just the best uh, coaching that that's being done here by this monologue is to Roy, Absolutely. obviously, and it required the most guts to say because Roy got in his face, physically intimidated him a bit. But what Nate doesn't know about Roy, and what we do know about Roy, is that Roy is abundantly fair with criticism. 
to himself. We've seen this episode after episode. When anybody hits him with something that's honest feedback about Roy or criticism of Roy that he thinks is fair, he drops the veneer and says, fair, that's okay. And he does it. He he appears here when Nate gives this feedback. Mm -hmm. When he walks over to the bench and starts to rip it up, like his nail is nailed in, he's ripping it up. It appears that he's throwing a fit. He's mad. But no, he's actually doing, he's doing exactly what Nate told him to do he's taking his advice it's the it's the equivalent emotional equivalent of roy saying that's fair and he goes over he rips the fucking bench up and says let's go do this i love that's one of the most repeated motifs of the show is roy's ability to take and respond well to criticism i was i would never have thought that that was one of the most repeated things that i've seen that i like that they keep returning to it's wonderfully well done that they've set up this moment over the course of every prior episode Roy rips that bench up. The team is energized. They charge out there. Ted gives Nate a good slap on the back, and Nate's got that stunned silence going to a slow smile. Question for you. Mm-hmm. Do you, he says, Ted goes over and slaps Nate on the back, says, see, told you it'd be fun. Do you think, so do you think, I'm going to give you two options here. You can either say one or the other, or you can give percentages if they're both true. Okay. Do you think Ted was fucking with Nate, or... Do you think it was in the best... He, Ted thought it was in the best interest of the team that Nate delivered those lines. I I don't think Ted would just fuck with him when it comes to something this important to both him and the team. I'm going 100% Nate. He thought Nate was the guy that could do this and that it was a teaching moment for both Nate and a powerful moment for the team that worked out beautifully. I'm going to agree with you there. Uh, I, I, I'm not sure. I probably would have had a split I, if it didn't come on the heels of Ted needing to apologize to him for his poor behavior the night before. I think the fact that he was apologizing to him because he was a complete asshole to him the night before makes me think that Ted probably wouldn't have then thrown something like a practical joke at him, right? He was doing something he thought was in the best interest of Nate. Yeah, Ted strikes me as a guy that would, he'll very much enjoy messing with you, but he'll never leave you messed up. And I think this is the way it plays out here, is that this is pushing Nate out of his comfort zone, but in a way that Ted fully expects he'll rise to the occasion. And it works out beautifully for the team, because apparently, into the game, Team 1 won 0, beating a 60-year streak. Cubs eat your heart out right now. Roy apparently played like a man possessed. The team is in bliss. Sassy Smurf and Marble Man meet in the locker room again, and they're having a great time. So apparently, the two of them love using nicknames for each other. This be Flo and Ted, of course. Roy and Keeley talk. He finally has a zinger to throw back to her about seeing all her, her damn hotel work throughout the entire time he's been here. Everyone's having a great time, and Roy is not content to let the fun end. They've won. They've shattered the streak. They're going to rub it in the city's face, and they're all going to go out and celebrate. And given that she's been the tour guide for the, all of them in the course of their entire hotel stay, he invites Keeley to decide what they're going to do. And what does Keeley decide that they're going to do, my, my friend? The great Asian pastime of karaoke. And we cut immediately to Sam singing a wonderful version of Wonderwall by Oasis. So let's cut back. First off, they're doing the rich until we die. Yeah. Rich until we die. We know we always are. We are rich until we die. Which I like that mm-hmm. song almost as much as I like Jamie. Stop. Stop. We talked about this. Stop hurting me. Almost as much as that one. Um, I do like the fact that Roy actually scored the goal. They won yep. one nil. Roy scored the goal, and he's a midfielder, so that's a long kick. It's rare for Roy to score. I think they even the announcer even describes it as a rare goal for Roy. Kent. Mm-hmm. 
Um, so the fact that Roy was particularly charged, I thought was good. And I also like that Roy was kind of fucking a little bit with Keely, where he looked at her and said, you know, I've been thinking about you. And Keely's like, oh, oh, really? And he goes, yeah, I've been hearing your voice all weekend. Great line by Roy. I thought that was well played. And I love it, particularly just what contrasted authors compared to how much she's been given his number for the last few times they've been interacting. That He's been, he's, he's been continually interacting with her with like a confused schoolboy. Now... Now that he's won the game, now that he's found the old, old energy again, he's in command of the situation once more, and he does it beautifully. And it just mm-hmm. works out, again, a perfect vibe the two of them have with each other. Now, here at Karaoke, we get three different people sing. Can I get your opinion about who offered our best performance? I have my own opinions here, but we get Wonderwall, by the way, this is by Sam. We get Beard delivering an impassioned performance of Bad Romance by Lady Gaga. And we get Rebecca delivering Let It Go from Frozen. Which one did it best? I'll say, I'm going to throw this question back at you after an answer, but I'm going to say this. Obviously, Rebecca, I don't know if that actress is really singing this She song. is. She's an excellent singer in real life. Stunning. Stunning. I mean, it's, it might even be better than the original performance, right? It's really, really good. Um, but I hate that Frozen song. <laughs> I figured. I figured. And I think that anyone who does bad romance at a karaoke immediately gets my win. That's the most karaoke appropriate. I mean, it is so much fun to do um, in a karaoke setting. Shout out to Beard. Of course, Beard knows this. I mean, Beard is the type of guy that when you say, hey, quick, Beard, best karaoke song, he's going to have an answer for you. He's that type of guy. He's going to have an answer and he's going to perform it for you and show you it's the best because he's going to win that. Rebecca, I think that even the Make Rebecca Great Again, like title of the episode is kind of framed around this moment where she literally finds her yes. voice again, right? Um, she lets it Beard, Beard gets my vote all day long. Yeah. Romance. Best singing performance, Rebecca. Best stage performance, Beard. No contest. That man is selling that song. We only see the last bar of it. Roma, Roma, ma. To be fair to Rebecca, though, good lord is the audience enraptured as she sings. I am too. She sings it beautifully. Everyone's going nuts. Did you notice that even Roy is mouthing along to the song as she's singing it? Yeah, well, do you know why Roy knows the song? His niece. Gotta be his niece. Exactly. I thought there was a nice little thrill. I I was was wondering. I didn't notice that the first time I watched, but it was a great great little addition right there. Meanwhile, though, as he's singing this, as she's singing this, Ted is increasingly looking uncomfortable. Ted is increasingly struggling. As, this, as everybody else is having fun, as the music is blaring, as the lights are going off, as he slowly starts to go into what is a full-on panic attack in one of the best ways I've ever seen portrayed on the screen, honestly. Well, he's he starts with the uh, thumb touching each yep. individual finger, which we've seen from him in the past before. So that was a nice little um, callback, just like because some consistency there. Uh, but yeah, it's a pretty pretty good explanation, uh, visual explanation of what a panic attack is. I mean, he um, even down to the point where he's not quite sure how he got where he is, mm-hmm. not quite sure who's talking to him, and the first thing he says is, "I don't know what's happening." I mean, it's all pretty consistent. If you ever had one, or you've ever seen somebody have it's a real yeah, one, yeah, absolutely. And it's rough to see Ted go through it. He's clearly at the lowest we've seen of him all season. Right, one of the lowest moments of his life since his childhood, and. It's an abject struggle. And who is there to come to his rescue? Of all the people in his life, of all the people that are around him, all the people that are supporting him in their own ways, 
It's Rebecca that apparently goes out after him to go check on him. Who knew? Who knew? She reassures him that he's not going any more crazy than anyone else and offers to walk him home. Ted refuses, doesn't want to ruin her fun, and kind of just walks off into the darkness himself as Rebecca looks after him with what is probably the most honest and what is probably newfound concern we've ever seen of her when she's looking after Ted. Previously, it's just been various realms of annoyance or just kind of a little bit of amusement. Here, she's looking at him with what seems to be a remarkable amount of empathy in a way we haven't known that she's been capable of when it came to Ted. This is Darth Vader looking at Luke as the lightning bolts are going through him. Father, and, and you see the the head tilt, yeah. you know, of the guy in the helmet. And you like the mean, big, bad villain, Darth Vader, is like starting to break and peel off, yeah. right? That's what we're getting. We're getting from like episode after episode from Rebecca. Like, and I think you know, obviously it builds toward, you know, where she just finally drops this, takes the helmet off, throws the Emperor down the chute, and bam, she's on the lights. <laughs> Rebecca's the closest thing we have to an antagonist, maybe even a villain over the course of the season, and I love that she's had an arc, which makes her ultimate redemption so much more believable than it just being a one-off turn kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Ted makes it, makes it back to the hotel. He sits down in his chair. He rewrites the army man that's there next to him. He takes the pen in hand. He signs the papers. And with what is clearly an abject struggle, he takes a picture and he sends it off to the asshole attorney. While... Celeste's song Strange is playing, which is just built around the idea that as painful as this is, as weird as this is, life goes on. And that's what Ted's trying to come to terms with right now. As much as this is something he's been dreading, avoiding, struggling with, in the end it's a picture, it's a button, and then it's gone. And a new life begins, whether you were ready for it or not. Alright, so you crushed that, uh, by the way, that, that whole recap right there, really strong from you. I want to go ahead and grade you A+, and I'm going to tell you two things I really liked about what you did. One, you said asshole attorney, so thank you. Thank you for I throwing your brother under the... When it came to I appreciate that. <laughs> Spencer, the attorney, calls him the asshole attorney, and then also the shout-out of the Celeste song, Strange. That is a... Man, like, I've heard that song before. I know the mm-hmm. lyrics. Like, that's a just a great placement. I mean, the people who do the scoring and the, and the song placement... For this show, I mean, man, it's really good. Like, it's almost word for word kind of what Ted's dealing with. I thought it was That's perfect. Uh, We cut back to the team, and they are splitting up to go in their own directions. Flo's going off with the entirety of the rest of the team to keep having fun. Good for her. Uh, Keith, on the other hand, is breaking off to go with Roy, which she's leaving Rebecca alone, but Rebecca's okay with it. She has made it through that day and found a better place for herself. She's not done with her day. Well, we don't know at this point what is she going to do. This point we think she's... She's got a plan. This point we think she's just going to go back to her room. We're wrong, but we'll see. Meanwhile, Roy's walking Keely back to her room. They get to her room. They share an impassioned, practically make-out-in-the-hallway kind of kiss. And then Roy breaks off, wishes her a good night, and walks back to his room. What thoughts are going through Keely's head in this moment? Well, we know because she immediately smells her breath. She had some she had some drunk breath, right? No, I mean nobody's breath smells good when they leave a bar. Um so she was thinking that. Um I think that this was a really smart move on Roy's part for, for a couple of reasons. One is, you know, I mean, if you really genuinely like someone, then um the drunken hookup as like date number one don't make that you can you can you can get back from that you can you absolutely can you can make a relationship out of that it's just a harder place to start from Mm -hmm. two is that keely is a sex symbol 
in the United Kingdom. Mm-hmm. She gets people wanting to sleep with her all the time. It's probably like a daily occurrence of men she interacts with. So the fact that Roy doesn't immediately go to the sex, I think is probably important for her. So shout out to Roy. Good news. It absolutely. Clearly catches her off guard, though. Uh, meanwhile, Rebecca is back at the bar. And she's eyeing that waiter that you know her friends flirted with her flirted with on her behalf earlier, and he seems receptive. And we're going to find out where that went next episode. Ted and she before she can go proceed farther with that though, she gets a text message on her phone, and it's from Ted, offering one of those text messages which you can just see in every letter is just dripping with sincere thanks. For her kindness. I got the quote. Do you want, you want I, I to want hear it? <clears throat> yeah. So, well, before before that, I want to point out that Rebecca has gone out to karaoke to a night of drinking and come back to the hotel and got to the hotel bar for another drink. That bartender knows what's up. <laughs> now, I've done that in my life a few times, and I can tell you that she looks <laughs> better than she looks better than anyone who's ever done that. You know, most of the time when somebody comes from the bar, they're drinking, and then they come back to the hotel bar, gets a little sloppy. Rebecca looks immaculate. She might, it looks like she might even have gone and changed before she went down for the extra drink, the nightcap. I mean, most people don't look good in a nightcap, so uh, that was that was pretty strong move there from Rebecca. I'm not sure it's completely realistic, but, you know. She I think to, your read on her going to get changed before coming down is a perfect read that accurately mirrors what her end intentions are of this scene. It's like... She went up, she got ready, because her night's not done. Yeah, but just for the kids out there, if you go out drinking and you come back to the hotel bar and you're like, I'll have one more, you're not going to look as good as Rebecca <laughs> looks in this scene. No, probably not. <laughs> you will not. Uh, the text from Ted. Please. So this is the text that she gets. Thank you for being so kind. Not just tonight, but through this whole adventure, it's really been something else. It's quintessential Ted, and it's one of the many things that are just going to have to start weighing on Rebecca's conscience that this is a very good guy that thinks only good thoughts about you. What have you been doing to him in return for that? A question, she, a question of sins coming home to roost that she'll have to ponder for later. Because Ted... Uh, so, okay. Um, all right. So, great scene. Right? Yes. And it was an important text. Um can I, can I just tangent into something that is apropos of absolutely nothing? You always do. Go on. Okay, here we go. Uh, in the text, he says, but through this whole adventure, that's one of the sentences. He spells through T-H-R-U. Now, this is Uncle yeah, Lee out yeah, here to the kids, yeah, okay? Yeah. Um, I work with a lot of people of varying age groups, um, and I've had a lot of business communication of people with various age groups. And I have noticed something startling, and that is that people under the age of 30 seem to think that this word is actually spelled T-H-R-U. It, it is not. It's T-H-R-O-U-G-H. Please, in any sort of formal communication with uh, anybody at like a work or if you're trying to write something, I mean, if you're texting, it's one thing, but something serious, just kids out there, it really isn't spelled. I got into an argument. I got into an argument with a younger attorney in a legal brief on that subject. Where that guy was absolutely determined that that was a valid spelling of it, and I was trying to spell the word English style. I've I've had people like that. I have like some level of like supervision over, or like I'm working with closely, or whatever at work, who like will give like a work product, like multi pages, and you see THRU through there, like multiple days. Not one mistake. It's clear that they think it's spelled that way. So just a little lesson out there for the kids, apropos of absolutely nothing, complete tangent, just THRUGH. That is the correct spell. Absolutely. That, 
Very shortly after Ted, Ted sends this message, though, the man's got a knock at his door. Ted's got a knock at his door. Who's on the other side of that door? Flo! Sassy Smurf has come up for perhaps a bit of a nightcap, as it were. And Ted... That's a... Yeah, it's something else, man. When he opens the door and she just walks right Doesn't see a word. Power move. Ted just looks flabbergasted. And with the door closed, the scene and episode end. Yeah, so Flo... um, Unclear the timeline, right? This is something I kind of want to know. Does Flo actually go to the bar with these guys? Because if she does, she's now done karaoke. She's done drinks at dinner. She's done karaoke. And she's done drinks at the bar afterwards. So I'm just kind of wondering what state Ted is really dealing with here, right? It could be really bad. But let's say she goes to the bar and then she kind of begs off and then she hotels it to Ted's room. Eh, that, could be, that could be a pretty good situation. I think it's probably that. I don't think we're talking many hours later because I think Ted would have gone to bed probably. So I'm thinking it's happened contemporaneous with Rebecca at the bar. Yeah. Okay. Well, I hope so for Ted's case. Because I mean, the last thing <laughs> I want is, is she's been out at the bar. She's closed up the bar. And now she's just shown up and decided she's she, coming. She does not look the drunken sloppy that she would be at that point. She's looking regal as she walks into this room in complete command of the situation. <laughs> it is an imperfect Ted Lasso fashion. This thing goes down, and it's he's already he has signed the papers. He has sent the papers through. So clear conscience for Ted. Yeah, yeah, we're going to have to unpack this when it comes to the start of the next episode. I'm going to look forward to doing so. But for right now, our recap is done. I think we can move on to the next of our segments. Another week, seven straight weeks here of the recap with Spencer. Spencer, you get better every week. Great job with the recap. Thank you so much for doing that, taking the detailed notes that's required. I know from previous podcasts it's not an easy thing to do. So shout out to Spencer for the recap. We will now go in our next segment. Sports Center top ten, Spencer. What is your first Sports Center top ten? Uh, the uh, the when it has to be a top ten moment that would be replayed on Sports Center back and forth week after week. The Nate roast, the overall Nate roast, is masterfully done. It's wonderfully prepared. It's expertly delivered. Admittedly, he takes a while to warm up. There's a first there's some first quarter problems, but going into halftime, he sells it, and coming out of halftime, he lost no energy at all, and he brings it home to bring the team to victory. Okay, I'm going to go with the um, the beard Ted interaction where Ted goes, man, they're acting like Jay Z and Beyonce broke up or something. Okay, um, so this is this is a reference to the very well documented marriage troubles between Beyonce and Jay Z. So basically, these two get together. Like any couple that is doomed for trouble, they immediately started telling everybody how great their relationship yeah, was. Yeah. Um, they couldn't wait to tell everybody how great it was. And then what happens? Beyonce drops an album. It's like an overnight type thing. This has become very popular um, with artists. Mm-hmm. I really don't like it. Where they just surprise you with an album. It was called Lemonade. She very uh, infamously includes the line, Becky with the good hair. This is the person who Jay-Z apparently uh, cheated on her with. Mm-hmm. Uh, all quiet from the Jay-Z camp for about a year. And then he dropped an album called 444 in which uh, various songs he admits to the infidelity. So this is the reference here. You got Lemonade, Becky with the good hair. Um, and then you have 444 uh, where Jay-Z admits his infidelity. Little lesson tied up in all that. Um, just don't ever go walking around telling everybody how great your relationship is. Uh, you'll, you'll, you're, you're destined for Lemonade in 444 yeah. if you do. You're, you're tempting fate at that point. 
Uh, one for me, I, I, I got to reference what we just did at the end of this episode, but Flo at the door, unexpected, no prior notice, walking in without even a word said. The uber of all power moves when it comes to that situation. Yeah, I don't know. I, um, yeah, I don't know how I'd react to that. I mean, it's it's so presumptuous, it's almost offensive, but Ted seems like he's into it, so, eh, whatever. I think she just reads Ted very well for that situation in that particular moment. Uh, so last time Richmond ever won in Everton, which is in Liverpool, mm-hmm. uh, Elvis Presley's It's No New no, mm-hmm. was number one on the charts. Song is the best selling single of all time by Elvis Presley. Do you know that? Best selling single of all Are time. Are you messing with me? Really? Nope. It is. Now I'm talking about somebody goes out. This is a very old school thing. So kids like, I mean, you might as Talk well just us through skip. It. Talk us just through do it. a 15 second through. Um, but this is when people actually would go out and purchase a physical copy of a single. Mm-hmm. They go by like a record that had one song on it, right? Uh, so that's that's what this is in reference to. It's the single best-selling single by Elvis Presley of all time. It's one of the best-selling singles of all time, period. It was recorded by Billy Porter at RCA Studio B in Nashville. Very, very, very uh, famous studio. Um, it's written in E major, but Elvis played it in all kinds of keys. Um, some drunk, some not. So you never know what key you were going to get a from long Elvis career. for. It's now or never. Um, I will say this. Um, it spent five weeks at number one um, in the U.S. and in the U.K. It spent eight weeks at number one in the year 1960, right? But um, little known fact England, like the UK loves to do this. They've done it with a lot of different songs. Basically what will happen is some radio station starts playing an old song and it gets like super popular again mm-hmm. and it'll actually yeah. rise through the, the charts. So It's Now or Never by Elvis was actually the number one song in all of the United Kingdom for one week in the year 2005. <laughs> okay. That's both weird and also perfectly reasonable given what I've seen of the world. Yeah, absolutely. Like, um, uh, they, like the, uh, the UK at one point, like, did um, Mr. Brightside yeah. by The Killers yeah. was number one for, like, four straight years or something crazy like that. They so they, the they get a little wonky with what's number one on the charts isn't always, like, the new pop whatever in the UK, which I really respect, yeah. by the way, about the people of the United Kingdom. So, yeah, it's now or never was... It hit number one again in 2005. Well, uh, number, uh, I think, 13 for me now. Uh, Keely, as the, uh, I'll say, visitation board or or tourist board for the hotel introducing Liverpool. I want to go to Liverpool now with the story that she tells us about what you can see there and what you can do there. I think she does a wonderful job of it. I am sold on the community, and I got to try this brand new karaoke thing and these whatever these kettlebells that she describes. Oh, yeah, the newfangled kettlebells. Never seen those before. Uh, yeah, so that feeds into my next one. Liverpool, there's a Beatles reference from uh, Ted's kids. Yep. That's because the Beatles, uh, uh, John and Paul, actually grew up in Liverpool. Mm-hmm. You can go to their childhood homes in in Liverpool. That's where they first got together, and they first started playing some some local bars. You can actually do the Beatles tour when you go to Liverpool. So you can go to John and Paul's house. And then you can also go to some of the bars where they first played some of their, some of their first. Now, can you reassure me that all four and or five of them, depending on how you want to judge are all still perfectly. Okay. Right. Everybody's alive. Everybody's alive. No problems at all. No health issues. No getting shot in dark alleys or any of that jazz. No, as a matter of fact, John's a big fan of all the music Yoko's been doing. (laughs) I Wow, that is an accurate read on what their lives would have been. 
Yeah, I actually really loves all of the nonsensical gibberish <laughs> electronica music that she's been pushing our way. Um, I got my last one here. Um, do you have no, any more? No, please. Tell me. Okay, so number 10 on the nose. Sam is doing Wonderwall. Uh, song Wonderwall by the English rock oh, band God. Oasis. This is probably the most popular song in the United Kingdom's history. Uh, not um, just there. It dominated our generation for the entire period growing up. That song was everywhere. It's from the song, from the album What's the Story, Morning Glory, the most popular album in Oasis's history. Oasis very famously, uh, the Liam and Noel Gallagher, mm-hmm. they are the front men of the band. They just could not get along enough to really produce much music after What's the Story, Morning Glory. And uh, I believe that uh, Noel has been um, one of these, like, um, let's call him like Axl Rose from Guns uh-huh. Roses, basically. Uh-huh. Like he'll, be, he'll, he'll, he'll book something and you don't, you, it's a crapshoot if he's going to show up or not. Mm-hmm. I will say this, though, I found on Wikipedia, um, Noel Gallagher did describe what Wonderwall is about. This has been vexing me my I entire no life clue. as to what the hell this album is about or the, what the hell this song is about. Here's the explanation. Let's see if it makes any sense to you. Wonderwall is a song in which the internal monologue of the protagonist is an imaginary friend who's going to come and save you from yourself. You just kind of blew my mind a little bit right there. That, yeah, that, that is that song. I never really understood that, but you just perfectly encapsulated it in a weird way. Imaginary friend, it's your mind. Imaginary friends dumping in there, going to come save you from yourself. There you go. That's Wonderwall. That's what our boy Sam is singing oh so well in the episode. Well, tell me, sir, now that we've finished up our Sports Center Top 10 with our only 10 choices as always, who is our train wreck of the week? I want to put it to you first because I'm. This is a kind of hard episode for it in some ways. Dude, I don't know that we have very much train wreck of the episode. It's I mean, relative. Three quarters of the way through, it's very obviously Ted, but Ted. Whoop! Rises from the ashes like a phoenix in this episode. Spencer, and he comes through. He might be number one on the big board by the time it's over because he, uh, he shacks up with Flo, who by all accounts seems like a great friend and a pretty cool person. Um, so I'm I'm a fan of Flo from all we get to see. I mean, they yeah. you know they may sully the character later, but everything I get from her, she seems like a pretty cool hand. It's one one scene I didn't actually discuss, but I actually want to come back to it. We have a second, but one of the great moments between Flo and Rebecca is when. Flo describes how Rebecca is also at fault for what happened when it came to her losing her friendships around her. That Rupert put you up in an ivory tower, but you chose to climb every step of the way and not call us and not interact with us. And for you to be able to move on from this and rebuild your life, you have to accept the role you played in it. That is good, honest-to-God, hard friend advice right there from a person that I wasn't necessarily expecting it from. She looked like just the fun friend. I didn't expect her to also be the well-reasoned, caring friend, too. Flo's awesome. Good on you, Ted. Hope you enjoyed yourself. So t- Yeah, so Ted's not Trainwreck of the I don't episode. think anybody qualifies this time. We had some characters with bad moments, but Trainwreck seems reserved for somebody that just had an abject failure of a time. Yeah, it's a rising tide lifts all boats situation here for the characters. I think, you know, R- Richmond gets the big win. Rebecca, yeah, I mean, my, Rebecca's out there just crushing Frozen. You got Beard doing a great Lady Gaga rendition. You've got Nate finding his voice. You've got Ted hooking up with Flo. I mean, I, everybody's happy. I've thought of it. I know what it is. I know who's the train wreck of this episode. 
Higgins because he looks good left behind? No, he still has a great day with his family. It still doesn't qualify. It's the Everton team. Their 60-year win streak is out the window. This is UNC losing to Clemson in basketball at home, which I painfully watched. (laughs) That's right. If you've been, you had a 60-year winning streak and it comes to an end, um, yeah, that's on you. History's going to remember that one with a bullet. So there you go. Train wreck of the episode is the Everton team for losing to Richmond for the first time in 60 years at home. Absolutely. Go, go. All right. Going from here, sir, do you have some wisdom, some advice, some philosophy for us this time around? Yeah, so this episode, like we do all episodes, we'd like to conclude with a few life lessons from Ted. These are sometimes from Ted, but generally from the episode. This show, as much as we like the giggles and we like the silliness of it, at its heart is a good show. It's a show about people trying to do the right things and people growing and caring about each other. So um, in that respect, I like to I like to compare it to the later years of The Office Mm -hmm. uh, in that you just you there's. you come away with things that are absolutely um, very, very cogent and, and relevant in your potential life, even though it is a silly show. So with that in mind, life lessons from Ted for this episode. Number one, let people take credit for their work. Yes. This is really important if you are in any position of authority yes. in your profession. May you have managers, may you have people that you manage, or may you have people who just come to you with things. If You are in a position to take somebody's work, repurpose it for yourself and take credit. Never, ever, ever do that. Always let that person um, stand next to their work, which is exactly what our main man Ted does with Nate. And it works out for everybody involved. Absolutely. Well said. Number two, and this goes back to the rant I did five minutes into this episode. If you're asking someone to do something tough, give them a little bit of space to do Mm -hmm. it. It's pretty simple. I mean, if you're asking someone, hey, man, can you do me? Can you do this thing for me? That's like really hard. Even, I mean, asking somebody to sign divorce papers when you they haven't even gotten <laughs> sight unseen. They haven't even gotten a lawyer and you just want to rush this thing because you found somebody. I'm, I'm convinced, by the way, Michelle has found somebody. That's why she's doing <laughs> Convinced. Give yeah. him some space. So, but it, but it extrapolates to other parts of your life, right? If if you're asking somebody to do a, a hard thing, give them a little bit of space to do it. Number four, tell people you appreciate them. It's important because you're being honest, mm. and that's a great way to live mm-hmm. your life. Mm-hmm. Um, it's it's important to tell people when you appreciate them. But as this episode shows, when you connect it to future episodes. When you're when you're honest and you tell people that you appreciate them, it can have impacts that you maybe aren't even predicting or anticipating at that time, mm-hmm. right? Because Ted sending this note to Rebecca and telling her what he really thinks yeah. and he truly appreciates her in a very honest way actually creates some downstream effects that Ted could have never predicted. So it's just a good thing to always do. And we'll wrap up life lessons with Ted for the week. Spencer, hold on to your hat here for this one. Uh, I had no choice but to include it. A rebound can be okay. Wow. That, I was not expecting that one, but yeah, that's good advice it too. It can. A rebound can be okay. So long as it can you're be healthy, okay with it. As long as you're okay with it. And the person, this is the most important thing, the person with which you are doing said rebound is aware that they are a rebound. If the person knows that and you're comfortable with it, a rebound can actually be healthy. It can be good. Get something out of your system. It can be cathartic. It can be fun. It can get you back out there. So we shouldn't always refer to rebounds as a derisive thing. Sometimes it can actually work out. And in this situation, from what we know so far, mm-hmm. 
looks it has all the trappings of a potential healthy rebound. So long as Ted, the only thing we're ambiguous about, about at the end of this episode is what Ted's thoughts on it are. And we will discuss that when we come around next time. So there you go. That's Life Lessons with Ted Spencer. I think that wraps up our segments for the week. Anything else you'd like to add about this episode, Episode 7, Make Rebecca Great? Some great philosophy, some great life lessons coming at the end of a very good episode. And I'm excited to see where things start off next time. Absolutely. Enjoyed doing this episode with you. I thought this was a really good one. It advances the plot. And I think what it does is it starts to bring that plane down. We're in our descent Mm -hmm. of... Season one, we are going into the final stretch here for the last few episodes as we wrap up season one. As mentioned at the the front end of the episode, all of our review of season one is coming out on Tuesday evenings. We are going to have a double up week where there's going to be one week where we give you two of them. We'll give you a forewarning before that happens. But if you mash that subscribe button, you don't have to worry about any of that because it'll just show up in your feed and you can listen to this pod whenever you want to. We're looking forward to season two. We're going to be here with you every Saturday to review episode by episode season two of Ted Lasso. Until then, folks, thank you for listening.